everybody and welcome to JTV. I'm delighted to be joined by a personal mentor and friend and also a friend of the channel JTV. Um, we're joined by Rabbi Eliezer Zobin, who's been on uh, many different segments before. We discussed a range of topics. Rabbi Zobin is the principal of Emmanuel College, a Jewish uh, secondary school in North London. And he's also the senior rabbi of Ne Israel uh, community also in North London. Uh, Rabbi, thank you so much for making the time to join us today. Um, I wanted to, to just jump right into something that's been swirling on my, on my mind for a few weeks now, and I kind of instinctively wanted to reach out to, to you as someone that deals with young people working in schools, also just through your community, counselling people, mentoring people, seeing issues that young people are facing, that families uh, might face, um, because just recently, I, was, um, I started this mental health uh, workshop uh, program that someone recommended um, that I join at a local Jewish uh, community centre. They just said they, they gained a lot from it. So I was curious to see what, what, what was going on. And a lot of it was about understanding that so much of our well-being can actually be found within us. It shouldn't be determined by other things. And we actually, the mind can create dangerous um, stories in our heads where we attach a much of our well-being to being liked or getting that job or getting whatever. And to understand that we should challenge the, the sort of the stories we tell ourselves in our heads and those negative thoughts. And as I was, as I've started doing this program, I started to realize like, this is such, this is really critical stuff just to general well-being for people. And it seems a bit like, I was thinking like, why are we not, why is this not considered as important as teaching math, English and history? Because like, you know, people's well-being has all kinds of effects on their health, on the economy, on just ge everyone's general well-being and happiness, even their spiritual, uh, spiritual health and well-being. And so I kind of feel like um, there's, there's just, and I'm sure you've kind of encountered this, that there's just a lot of illiteracy on topics that so many people, the average person, is facing in their lives. Um, that we just don't talk about. And so if I just really want to shine a light on those kind of things um, that I'm sure you deal with every day. Um, so I wanted to talk about really, I, it was really more just like an open-ended question to you because there's, I could literally think of 10 topics off the top of my head that I know young people, students are facing when they're going into school, when they're growing up with social media, all the rest of it. And this, this I really want this program to be something that both people who are young people and also parents can, can watch and engage with and be better equipped to deal with some of the big things that come up in people's lives. So do you want to start off by just sharing with us as someone that works on campuses, that uh, deals with young people, what are the issues, the big issues that come to mind that you're seeing a lot of young people facing today in the 21st century, perhaps more so than used to be a few decades earlier? Um, what are the big things that come to mind that we're, we could be better at addressing and talking about? And what are the kind of things that you, th you think are more needed to be not just talked about, but have solutions provided for. Thank you. Uh, thank you, first of all, for, as always, for inviting me back to, uh, to JTV. And uh, it, it's an honour to be counted uh, by you as a friend of yourself and a friend of uh, JTV. And, and actually, thank you for that question also, because um, it, it is such an important uh, issue to raise. Um, I'll start off really by, by agreeing with the premise of your question. I, I do think it is a societal blind spot that we don't educate more about well-being, about um, what it means to be healthy as an individual within oneself. Um, this is the foundation of, of really everything else in, in life that we wish to go on and achieve. It's the foundation of future healthy relationships. It's the foundation of of spiritual growth is the foundation really of, of financial success and professional success. So, so it, it is, it is a, a strange thing that we don't dedicate proper uh, curriculum time to this, both within the world of, of community bodies and shuls and, and kehilot and within the context of, of uh, the school system. Now, um, I, I, I often use the analogy in this context, you know, when, when, we, uh, when our children uh, hit 17 and, and uh, are able to apply for a driving license, we don't expect them to just pick up instinctively how to drive just because they've sat next to people driving all their lives. And yet when it comes to well-being and relationships, we somehow expect our children to have picked this up um, just by sitting next to people who have relationships or, or uh, have good mental health and well-being themselves. And uh, I, I think that actually learning how to live a meaningful 
positive, successful life and to achieve good relationships is a lot more complicated than driving a car and, and arguably more dangerous if one is, is not good at it. So, um, so I, I agree with you. Um, I mean, schools and schools are, are doing things now in this direction. Um, within my own community and school and, and many others, we are increasingly aware of this, but, but it definitely does take a, a it, there is a cultural and societal mindset shift that we need to, to undergo if we're really going to dedicate to it the time and resources it needs in a world in which there's so much pressure for, for so many other good things and um, so many other excellent charities, so many important things we need to cover in schools and schools. So, so this definitely is a, is a concern. Um, more, more specifically, um, there, there are the, the obvious uh, factors at work here that are spoken about a lot. Uh, COVID has created a sense of isolation for two years for, for many of our teens and young people. Uh, but beyond that, the, the ever enlarging presence of social media creates a well-being challenge and people aren't engaged in, in uh, youth groups and community activities, in meeting other live individuals face to face, doing things together with them, having the opportunity to talk and, and schmooze and converse and relate and connect. Um, there is, a, despite the ease of access that we now have through, through the wonders of the electronic world, there, there is paradoxically less meaningful interconnections that are taking place. I mean, our interview had to via Zoom rather than sitting opposite each other in the, in the same room. And as, as good as this is, it's not quite the same as, uh, as doing something face to face and, and being able to do that with, with the, the body language uh, synchronization that occurs, the syncing of breathing, the empathy and, and natural connections that occur. So, so this has definitely uh, been isolating, it's definitely made it challenging for, for students. Um, the peer pressure of, of social media, the artificial nature of that, that which gets shared online, in which uh, everyone is sort of living the, the, the beautiful and glamorous life, and very rarely do people actually share of themselves the difficult time, the, the effort that's put into things, um, the, the hard work that goes to achieving that wonderful holiday or that incredible event, or, or, um, or, or learning experience that occurred. So, so this creates this artificial world of expectations. And again, that creates a sense of, of uh, um, unrealistic expectations and a sense of isolation for, for those who are perhaps uh, um, struggling to, to learn and develop and, and ensure that they have uh, mental health and, and good well-being. So these are the, the context within which I think our students are operating and uh, very often struggling. Um, there's also a, a constant pressure to keep up. The, the, the media is, is, is ever faster moving, social media is ever faster moving. And um, even just on a practical level, uh, we need to realise when, when, our, when our teens, when our children are, are trying to go to sleep at night, if they've been online till the last minute, it, it's a bit like putting up a bed in the middle of a buzzing shul kiddush. You know, a room packed, a cocktail party packed with a thousand conversations. And imagine opening up the bed there, there in the middle of that room and trying to sleep. But that's where our, our, our youngsters have just emerged from as they switch off the machine, if they switch it off and try and go to, you know, fall asleep. So there's... Just, just to stop you there for one second, I, I recently was wondering to myself, why is it that I always have an easier time getting to sleep on Friday nights? And I thought, well, it could be because it's the end of the week. But I realised, well, no, that's not always true, because also on the Chagim, on the festivals, if it's a Monday, I still have an easy time. And I try just stopping technology an hour before bed, and it's, it's a total game changer. And I realised, like, as, as this discussion is kind of um, sort of bringing up, we, we're almost conducting an experiment on ourselves, young people, that we haven't even thought through. Like, we don't even, we're not even aware of the, the ramifications this is having on, our, on ourselves and our ability to do basic human functions, like sleep well. I mean, absolutely, Ali, and, and I think we have embarked as a society on the most incredible experiment ever, but the guinea pigs are, are us and our children, and we know that the social media, the world of internet is incredible, it's wonderful, it allows us to talk across the globe, it allows really meaningful connections to be maintained with family and friends who are from afar, we have incredible access to information, and, and just the privilege of being able to Google anything and check up, find that Wikipedia page is, is so special, this is not a, an attack on, on um, the, the advantages of it. But I think we really haven't yet learned how to use it well. And, and just like you know, we train our kids how to cross the road safely, we need to talk more about how to use the internet safely and well. Never mind, and I'm not talking here about the, the literal online dangers of, of, of predators and, and groomers that use um, the world of social media. 
And, and so often we, we sort of come up with mechanical solutions. So kids have trouble sleeping at night because they've been online. Well, that's because of the, 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 you know, the, the color of the screen and therefore we can tweak the blue screen effect and that will enable us to resolve this problem. It, it's so much more fundamental than that. Night, you know, the sages say night was given, um, the purpose of night was to give us a chance to integrate, to internalize, to be rather than to do. Daytime is the time of action, of doing. Nighttime traditionally was the time of being. It was a time when one retreated a little bit, one spent time with family and perhaps very close friends. One has a little bit of time maybe lying in bed and just reflecting on the day. The, 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 the great masters of ethics in our tradition, every night would engage in an exercise before they fell asleep of, of thinking through the day, processing, thinking which mistakes did I make? What did I do well? What lessons can I learn? What areas of achievement uh, did I accomplish? And this fast paced um, atmosphere in life this constant ability to access as, as adults, perhaps our emails and our work bases, and as, as youth and teens, our social contacts means that we're buzzing, we're keeping going till, till that moment when we fall asleep. And, and that's not healthy physically, it's not healthy mentally, it's not healthy emotionally, and it doesn't give us a chance to do the processing we, we need. So I, I do think it's important before, before we say anything more profound, um, just really getting back to some of the basics, looking at sleep and healthy sleep patterns, sleep hygiene, looking at uh, diet and, and um, exercise, um, and looking at the amount of time we're spending live with other people. Going for a walk in the park with a friend is worth so much more than, than uh, playing an online game with them. So I think before anything else, educating ourselves and our children about the, the basics of what a healthy life looks like, re-educating ourselves is vital. And we can only inspire our children to adopt this stance, if we ourselves are role modeling that, if we're able to put away our, our machines over, over a family meal, if we're, we're able to, to turn them off before we go to sleep. And I'm speaking as much to myself as to, to everyone else because it's really tough and really hard. And it's definitely something I, I struggle with and everyone I know struggles with. But I, I think we need to start talking much more about that before we have any more um, profound conversations about, about uh, well-being and, and mental health. This is really the bedrock and, and the foundation of everything. Wow. And uh, before we talk about sort of um, more, have more solution-oriented uh, conversations, um, what, what are the sort of big um, social pressures that young people are facing that you see up close uh, today? Are there any different from what I might have experienced, you know, 10 years ago when I was at school? Um, what are sort of the big things people need to look out for that you're seeing happening maybe there are things that remain the same you know peer pressure bullying those kind of things or or have they changed have they evolved like what what's the average 14 50 year old 15 year old uh, student going onto their school campus today um what are the kind of things they need to be most um geared for and protected from yeah so maybe i'll, I'll highlight three areas and then uh, you can choose where to take the conversation and if you wish to explore all or, or any of them. Um, the, the premise I'm starting from and in my experience in schools is that look, fundamental human nature doesn't change and the wonder of the teen years remains the same, the positives, the challenges, the, 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 the difficulties. You know, the teen years are, are an incredible time of, of exploration, of discovery, discovery of the world outside and self-discovery of our inner world. Um, in Hebrew, the word for a teenager is a na'ar, and the etymology of this word is eru, which means awakeness, an alert, alertness, an awakeness, a vibrancy, an exploration, an interest, a dynamic curiosity about the world, an ability to change and throw everything off and, and um, explore. And these are wonderful things. Um, it also etymologically is linked, though, to a sensitivity. When, when you're open to everything, you're vulnerable. Um, Error is linked to the word error, which means skin. And, and teenagers experience life it, it, it so viscerally and, ta and, and tangibly. And that's part of the sensitivity of teens, why, why so much is dra dramatized and extreme. And they have this alertness and awakeness, but also certain vulnerability when you, when you don't have that inner stability and, and self-confidence that perhaps comes with, with adulthood. So the core sort of nature of being a teen, I don't think has changed. I think what has changed is the access and the areas of exploration. So teens are able to access anything online, that the world is open in front of them. The wonderful world of, of learning and culture and education and Torah and science and everything that can be found that's good online. And also the very, the very horrible, dark and deep 
underbelly of, of our society. It's all out there, it's all accessible. And we shouldn't fool ourselves. Every single team that we're meeting has at some point tried to explore everything. Some have had the inner strength or inner um, insight to, to pull back from it, and others are, are fairly deeply involved in, in accessing everything the internet has to, to expose one to. And the individuals who are the teens who are accessing this are, are, are young, they're error, they're not, they're, they're awake, they're alert, but, but malleable and moldable and, and influenced very much by what they're seeing. So th this is one aspect of it. The same core teen stuff that was always going on, peer pressure, beginning to navigate the world outside their families, the roles of parents and family, lessening a bit, the ever-increasing impact of friends and society on them, but certainly the society that has the potential to impact on them is no longer just the sheltered environment of the nice secondary school or youth group that you're sending your kids to. It's everything the world has to offer, and we need to start educating our kids, really younger and younger, about that and about how to make decisions about who they will mix with, because they can mix with anyone and, and see anything they want. So core issues the same, but exposure and access to the friendship circle, the social circle they're measuring themselves with far broader. That's number one. Number two, um, social media also gives them a platform to express their views outwards, to share what they're experiencing. This is a wonderful thing. We have teams, we have young people who are, who are, who are leaders, who have millions, tens of millions of followers and, and are able to step forward and speak passionately and meaningfully and engagingly about the environment or about their faith or about their, their journey in life and their political views and, and really have an impact on the world. And that, that's, a, that's an incredible opportunity and blessing. But it also means that whatever one is saying as a teen is often out there forever. And a lot of the uh, sort of trawling that goes on through celebrities, through politicians, in which one finds a, an inappropriate or stupid tweet or social media comment that they posted, maybe what for us adults feels like only a few years ago, three or five years ago, but from the, the perspective of the young person was a lifetime ago. Um, and it's all out there. And, and it's very painful to see people um, often challenged, and, and correctly so, they do need to be challenged, but challenged for comments which are permanently online, um, but maybe express views that were never thought through or, or, or photo shared when they were in a moment of, of, of drunken peer pressure, and that will forever remain their record. Um, I, I think we need to assume that every employer is, is now Googling every prospective candidate and, and seeing what's online, and we need to start talking to our kids about what feels very far off for them in their lives, <laughs> their life of career and, and adulthood, and yet is, is, is only a few short years away. So, so these are, I think, commonalities. Teens always did stupid things, and they always, went through these experiences and hopefully survived them and grew up, but social media has given them greater access both to be influenced and to influence out, outwards for better and for worse. So this is one uh, uh, thing I would highlight. Um, a second area I would highlight is, um, I think there's a profound confusion about what it means to be a person, what meaning and purpose in life is about, um, the existential questions of, of what, it, what, what we humans are for, where we're going, what we're doing with our lives. And I have to tell you, I, I think our teams are amazing. Um, they, they think about the existential questions. They, they have a, a, an incredible desire for, to change the world, to work for social action, to care about the environment, to, to impact on, on a, a, a humanity that they see has gone very wrong. But I'm not sure as a society we really give them access to, to meaningful answers. We, we belong, um, actually, you and I belong in many ways to a double great tradition. We, we belong to thousands of years of Jewish tradition, which is a pathway to finding meaning and purpose and, and spirituality and direction. And we also belong to a degree, to a greater or lesser degree, to a Western tradition, which again has thousands of years of, of thinkers, of great thinkers, trying to work out the meaning and purpose of life. And, and because of the horrors of the 20th century, um, in which we, we saw truth in capital letters, leading to fundamentalism, leading to the, the tragedies of fascism and communism and, and extreme socialism and the like, and the incredible destruction of society that that created, we, we've retreated far from, we've lost confidence in our ability to say anything meaningful about life. We've perhaps lost confidence in our ability to even know what truth is or whether truth exists at all. And, and there's an element of this experience of the 20th century, which we all needed to hear, that when, when we are so confident in our truths, and so sure that they are obvious that no matter how the real world doesn't fit into it, we will mold it into the image of the theory we believe in at the price of 
countless lives. Clearly, that's a lesson we had to learn. But, but it seems to me that we, are, we have swung very far the opposite way. And we've lost the ability to tell our kids anything meaningful about the great intellectual traditions of, of our Judaism or the great intellectual traditions of the West. We've lost any self-confidence in, in the search for truth and the ability of humans to know something about what life and meaning is about. And all we are offering our kids is, is a very profound nihilism, a very profound skepticism, uh, uh, an extreme materialism, which basically sees us as human beings as, as a bit of biomass here today and gone tomorrow without any possibility of touching infinity, without any possibility of, of, of achieving something of worth. And just because we've learned the lesson of the 20th century, that we don't know everything and we shouldn't confidently assert we know everything, doesn't mean that all we can say to our kids is that we know nothing. And um, I think a lot of our kids struggle with, with a, a profound sense of purposelessness and inner emptiness, inner decay. And, and that's scary. It's, it's, a, it's a world in which decadence and the, the decay of decadence is, is looming ever larger. Um, and one that I think we need to start speaking about more. I'd like to pick up on the last thing you just said and then go back to um, the other stuff. Um, can you flesh out for me what, what does that sound like practically that the the um the result of uh, having a nihilistic view of the world that you just articulated what what is that sort of how how are people hearing that today practically or maybe they're just not hearing anything and therefore by by the result of there being no meaningful input in what they're being told life can be about they just become nihilist and what would the alternative message be about what you can do with your life Thank, thank you. I mean, the, the, these are the, the really important questions. Um, I, I also actually do want to get back to my third element, which we can put on hold for now, which is about, um, we've, we've spoken about being a teen, social media, we've spoken about um, uh, nihilism and materialism. And I do want to get back to, I think, closer to home, the, the Jewish challenges that our teens confront that we're not speaking about. Okay. Uh, we'll get back to that. Um, so in direct answer to your question, let me just uh, remember what you asked me. Um, uh, okay, materialism, how it impacts. So I, I think if we are, are telling our, our kids, if we're telling our teens that there is no ability to access truth, if we are pushing a, a model that draws out of the insights of biology and research into our origins, a conclusion not just about what we are as physical beings, but also that that's all we are, that we, we are not moral agents, free agents, who make decisions, who, who can achieve acts of remarkable kindness and transcendence, or can lower ourselves into the depths of, of selfishness, um, power, lust, abuse of others and egoism. If we don't talk about that, if we deliver a message of, of either ignoring this side of life or contradicting it, we're simply not giving our, our kids the furniture of the mind that they need to think and navigate these things. When, when do we have meaningful moral discussions, Rebecca? When we need the politics, when we hear about what's going on in the world, do, do we engage in, 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 in our day-to-day -day life when we're driving through the streets and, and a driver ahead of us is frustrating us, when we're going into the shops and we're interacting with people, are, are we discussing with our kids the, the moral quandaries, the moral dilemmas that we're facing the whole time? Um, are we giving our kids opportunities to remind themselves of their spirituality? I, I think it's vital today that we find volunteering opportunities, that we take our kids to, to, to food banks, to packaging of, of, of care, you know, care packages, to, to volunteering opportunities, to, to spiritual opportunities where, where, where our teens are reminded that we're not just flesh and blood, that there's a mind within us that searches for meaning and, and direction. And in many ways, I'm not even making, I'm not making here a religious point. This isn't about any faith or, or none. It, it, faiths are, are good vehicles of reminding people about that which is transcendent in them. But, but this isn't fundamentally about that. It, it's about two competing models of what a human being is. Or, are we just a bit of biomass? Are we capable of achieving things of worth? Are we capable of transcending our physical nature and, and touching infinity? Are we capable of, of making moral assessment and behaving in accordance with our moral judgment? Are we even thinking morally? Are we questioning morally? Are we, are we um, asking ourselves, are we asking our kids what's the right thing to do in a situation? What's the meaningful? Are we reminding our kids that there is within us that which is material and selfish, but there's also that within us which seeks purpose and, and a life lived with an awareness of the beyond. And um, I think unwittingly, because of a skepticism that's crept in, and, and in many cases appropriately so, 
uh, of, of religion and of, of traditional values and, and the negative consequences of when these are taken too far, we've lost the vocabulary of talking about these things. Faith provided the vocabulary, and I'm not sure what we've yet, we've learnt, relearnt in the West, other meaningful ways of, of talking about this. And I think there's nothing sadder than, than a philosophy which denies any human ability to know anything about the world, to touch truth. And there's nothing sad about philosophy which tells us there's nothing in life to achieve beyond my own selfish pleasures and desires. And if that is what our students, our children, our teens imbibe, if that is the message they emerge into adulthood with, then it's very frightening. So it's, it's a very scary picture of what it means to be a, a person and a human being. Yeah, and I want to talk about the third point, the Jewish point. Well, I think let's get to that a little bit later in the discussion. But just to focus in on the points you've raised so far, um, a lot to do with the pressures that that we're facing. And to be honest, we're talking about kids, but it's it's certainly people in their twenties, thirties, anyone really engaged in social media. But issues around sort of the more the first stuff you you raised about how um, friendship groups might um, push people or create cultures that encourage kids in order to feel a sense of self-worth or belonging that they have they end up doing things that are inappropriate um, and that may cause harm or hurt um, and there's uh, you know not enough um, education around the negative behaviors and those, those kind of things perhaps kids just aren't aren't aware enough of what's what's going on what the dynamics are um, and also you spoke about um, how uh, damaging content certainly online I can think of um, certainly like pornography and the impact it will have on people's ability to form healthy relationships or how they also just see their own body and other people's bodies uh, and, and having the proper perspective perspective on that um, how much of the solution to these issues which sounds to me like a lot of it's like cultural and educational issues um how much do you think um can be solved through just educating people because i think a huge amount of the challenge is that the, the environment we're in and the culture we're in just ends up playing a massive role on our on our psyche even if we deeply understand and know something to be true the culture that you're in being in western culture which is very focused on you know physical appearance and all these negative forces we've mentioned um just has such a big impact so is is the role of education of course it's important but is it somewhat limited uh is it ultimately you know, a question of what is the culture like um, at large in one's school, in one's friendship group. And as much as you can equip someone, you push them enough, it, sometimes they can get challenged. And, and, and is there an answer to how we can actually create like more sort of macro cultural change? So in my opinion, several points to say, um, firstly, that there is there are elements of the challenge which we have no influence over and other aspects of it that we can control. So um, there, there clearly are aspects of the broader culture over which we have no ability to, to control and the change. And the most we can do is, is whatever impact we can have. Um, I, I actually never really criticize Western culture or, or Jewish culture because it is what it is. And the truth is, I love living in the West. I love being in liberal democracy. I love the internet. I think these, these, the ability to, to Zoom call a friend or, or WhatsApp someone or, or, or log into, you know, see Wikipedia or, or, or social media and see what's going on other people's lives, it's amazing. So I, I don't, to me, I don't think a focus on that, which is beyond my ability to control, is, is where, where I, I choose to direct my energies. I think we can nonetheless have an enormous impact on, on our precious children, on our teens. And, and maybe just very hands-on, I want to share a few thoughts. Um, and some of these are age-dependent, depends how old your children are, um, whether they're already teens, whether they're still a little younger. Um, I think within schools, I'm a teacher because I believe in education. I believe that conversations and ideas have an impact on us. We human beings are made up of, of, of the physical, the body. We have minds, we have emotions, we have the spiritual, and we need to engage all of them on every level. We need education, we need to educate books of, of insight and wisdom, Jewish and Western. 
um, as to what it means to be human, about the tools of navigating life, of what well-being is, of what sense of self is, of, of self-awareness. And there's skills that can be taught. We can furnish the mind. We can't force our children to adopt these, but we can definitely equip them and give them the tools to achieve insight, to achieve well-being, to achieve meditative reflection, um, to, to, uh, in, to learn about this like we would do any other subject uh, that, that exists. If we can train people to drive a car and if we can pay, train athletes to swim or cycle, um, if we can train them in sports, we, we can definitely train them in these areas and education certainly is part of that. But it also needs to be holistic. And within schools, we do ever more um, holistic education. And we, we, we do activities, we, we have Shabbaton, weekend retreats where we, where we spend time with the kids. And we can do that at home as families also. And some of it is about getting back to old fashioned activities. It, it's about family time, carving out family time, family meals, it's about the discussions that take place. I mean, in the context of, of, of Judaism, it's about that Friday night meal where you're talking to the family and, and, and engaging in, in meaningful converse. Um, it's about board games, non-electric games, card games, having time in the family where, where you're, you're spending family time together um, kicking a football around in the garden or playing a, 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 a game. Actually, kids love these games. They love the board games if we bring them up with it. The, electric, the electronic options are always more tempting and, and easier, but, but they, they, they enjoy the old-fashioned games. It's about going for walks with kids. It's, it's about um, having a project. If your kids are teens, challenge yourself to climb a mountain together. In climbing a mountain, you're spending precious, valuable time with your kids, and you're also teaching them to reach beyond themselves, transcendence. They're seeing the beauty of the scenery, they're reminding themselves that there's a great world out there. They're pushing themselves to the limits. You're sharing an experience together. You're reminding yourself that if you can achieve more than you ever thought was possible, that you can draw on energies within yourself that you didn't know that you had. And if you can do it as a sponsored time where you're achieving something meaningful, where at the end there's, there's, a, there's a charitable result, then, then there's yet more transcendence in this. Go volunteering with kids, you know, contact gifts, contact the Shabbos walk. Let them, let them have volunteering activities. There's so much that's needed out there. There are people that need our, our help and our volunteering and our, our money and our time and our effort. Our charitable giving shouldn't just be writing the check or, or doing the electronic transfer. It needs to be with our kids and with our bodies and with activities. And, and then we have the great blessing of Shabbat and, and the gift of Shabbat, this chance to switch off. And, and I appreciate a range of families, a range of listeners, a range of people hearing what I'm saying, but each person in their own way, trying to have a time of, of detox, a time of family, a time of community, a time of connecting to grandparents and, and uncles and aunts and cousins. Th these are the really invaluable back to basic experiences that our, our, our kids need. We need to take them camping again. We need to have them walking on the, the you know, the hills of Wales, or the highlands of Scotland or, or the beauties of the coast of Cornwall. Um, it, it is about exposing them, reminding them back to how many of us have, have seen a sunset, have stopped um, and, and gazed at a sunset, stood at a cliff top. We, we need to be doing these events, uh, we, you know, and, and even if our financial means are stretched and we're living in a, in a time of cost of living crisis, we, we can manage to, to take a, a, uh, a drive out. You know, you, you can drive out to uh, 10 miles, 15 miles outside London, to the Cotswolds, to the Chilterns, and, and you can lie in the middle of the night with your kids on your um, back, lying in a field, looking up at the stars, and then you can see the space station. You can spot planets. You can Google how to identify. When have we been in, uh, been in touch back with nature and, and looked again at a star or a planet and, and seen it? This is cost-free. This isn't expensive. One day your kids can miss school or go to sleep, sleep a little late. They're going to sleep late for other reasons. Take them in a car, drive 20 miles out. Into the, I do this with my kids and uh, memorably we had a snuffling very near us and a puzzled horse came uh, nosing at us with its wet nose as it saw these bizarre human beings lying on the earth in a field looking up at the sky. But why shouldn't we gaze at stars again, like our ancestors did and like our parents did, like perhaps we did on you and I only, only 10 years ago? Um, there, there are experiences of re-becoming re-in-touch with nature and earthing ourselves again. Each person in their way, I'm throwing out a range of opportunities of ideas. It can be planting a seed in a pot and teaching a kid to water it every day and seeing how patience and endurance means that nothing occurs and suddenly there's this magic of a new life that's come into existence. It can be about cooking with our kids and baking. It can be about putting milk in a sock and learning how to make cheese or yogurts. But something that anchors us to, to patience, to commitment, to hard work, to achievement, to uh, teaching our kids these really invaluable lessons of what a wonderful natural world there is out there. And hopefully out of that will emerge a sense of awe, a sense of transcendence that can then, can then embark them on a, a more meaningful spiritual and, and uh, religious journey. 
totally get that and I can see how that has really powerful experiential educational effects. Um, but I was speaking specifically about the kind of when, when you know, the issues that kids are facing in terms of social pressure, self-esteem, how they relate to uh, theirs and other people's uh, bodies and, and uh, you know, their, what, what they, how they understand success and those other things. I feel like the, the things you've listed are great, nice family moments can, can perhaps uh, help to immunise them a bit from uh, or correct, give them more real human experiences. But what? A, but I was asking about those negative forces that that are at play and in schools and in culture um, at large. Is is there anything that you think it can be more actively done to help immunise people or create a cultural shift? I understand that what you listed is part of that. But is there anything that perhaps addresses those issues a little bit more head on? And again, I'm thinking with. Um, uh, an understanding that people watching this program might be teachers, they might be parents, and they also might be students. So I don't know whether some of the answers are best catered to one of them specifically, but... Okay, I'm, I'm going to dock your question again, because I, I want to slightly tweak um, how, and, and moderately disagree with what you just said. Okay. And then I'll answer your question more directly. I believe that what I said is 95% of the answer, if not 99% of the answer. Wow. And by that I mean that we are not going to be able to change society and culture top-down. There aren't easy governmental legislations to make that, that with the complexities of free speech. Very few of us are remarkable you know, leaders who can shift the course of culture and society and impact on it forever. There's the rare individual blessed with a wisdom and an eloquence and an ability to communicate who perhaps can some small way nudge society a, a little bit. Most of us, the most we can do is build bottom up from our families and our sense of self. And, and honestly, the best protection for our kids is, is what I've spoken about. We need to educate about the wisdom of insight as to what we human beings are, emotional intelligence, psychological intelligence, a rich vocabulary of emotions, but more sophisticated the language of emotion we have. There's books out there, um, again, children's books. Look at the pictures together with kids, ask what do they think the characters are doing? What are they feeling? Why are they behaving this way? What experiences are they going through? So we're training and empathy and insight and understanding. Um, the more we can't get there by trying to block and filter out these things. It's sensible to have filters. Of course, it's sensible to try and take precautions. But ultimately, everything is out there. And the only salvation we have is, is trying to build in our kids a self-confidence and a self-knowledge and a pride in their tradition and a pride in their family, because that is what will pull them back from the, the brink. When you're in that moment of crazy peer pressure, when you're facing that moment of raw animal lust, for that which is accessible, the only thing that can pull us back is a sense of, of confidence that I know what I am and I know my values, and a sense of, of decency and pride in, in, in who I am and what I am. You know, the sages tell us that when Joseph, yourself, faced a, a challenge, he's alone as a 17-year-old, and what at the time was the, 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 the um, sexual and, and cultural cesspit of the world, full of depravity and, and crudity and he faced his own temptations away from home it was the image of his father in front of him that pulled him back from the brink and and we can access those images and actually i was just giving a, a, a relationship a, a lesson to my my year seven students yesterday and we were talking about this very subject and what are the tools one uses and i said to the kids picture your grandmother picture your grandfather what what would they think about this step back and, and think about this and, and all of them found that meaningful. Picture someone you love and say, would I want them to know that I'm doing this? How would they respond to the situation? And sometimes that thought buys us that moment of sanity in, in, a, in, a, in a crazy environment to actually step back and think, what am I really about? What are my values really about? And, and if we teach our kids resilience, endurance, perseverance, generosity, transcendence, we're treating them to respect themselves and their bodies, to respect the bodies of others, and also, if they do slip up, to emerge from that and be able to come out healthy and whole and process what's happened. And what do you say to, to parents who, um, or potentially even kids sometimes, who are just a bit uncomfortable about having conversations with their family or parents when they're perhaps in those more calm uh, moments or experiences with families? And they're just, they're just not, especially British people, they're a bit uncomfortable having discussions that are a bit more deep, vulnerable, personal, um, uncomfortable, um, or that just, um, you know, are, are making 
the the parents uh, sort of just yeah just not have your everyday kind of conversation with them How, what what would you say to a parent like that that's just a bit cautious so a really good question um one part of this is certainly as communities as schools as schools we need to be doing more with parents about educating them about how to have these conversations again we have started running these things within my own community within my own school and many others are, are doing similarly so we do need more investment in, in educating around this and it's hard in the context of a short interview to discuss everything that needs to be said uh, about um about how to have these conversations but the truth is anything is better than nothing and any even if we're doing some of what i'm talking about that's great um we have to be comfortable and we have to do it in a way that works for ourselves these conversations could be whilst going around for a walk in the park whilst baking in the kitchen whilst uh um, meeting in a restaurant for a coffee by the way take your kids out for a coffee take them out for a, a, you know treat find the meaningful times it could be whilst volunteering in gift or climbing the mountain and it doesn't have to be if you're uncomfortable with it deep personal and intimate matters it, it can be as i said really just talking about values in other contexts um tell them a story that happens i was i was walking along the road today and uh um, you know, I was in a massive rush and I saw an elderly person struggling with their shopping. You know, should I have come late to my meeting by helping them cross the, the, the street? You know, dig up interesting news articles and, and ask them how, how, what they think about it. Engage in meaningful conversations. Any meaningful conversation with us as their parents, as adults is worthwhile. So anything you're comfortable to talk about is, is, is worth it. And if they're sorry, grumpy teenagers who, who, who answer in one word, monosyllable responses, that's still okay. It's any contact we can have, any quality time we can have. We don't get enough quality time with our kids. We're busy and, and we pay the price for that if we, if we don't have our priorities uh, straight. So it's not all or nothing. And it doesn't, if, if, if it's too difficult to talk about the, the depth of emotions or matters that we consider too personal, it's still better to do something. But we should know they are having these conversations, whether we like it or not. At best, if they're not having them with you, they're having them with their friends in school. And at worst, they're having them with online chat forums with who knows who. I, I, I know this isn't the main uh, topic of conversation today, and I want to go to talk about the Jewish issues in a second. Um, but I wanted to ask what may sound like a fairly odd question, but I actually think it's really important that we just spend a few minutes just being clear on why it's important. And that is just, could you express to us in a few words, um, why is family so important? Now, I know it may sound like pretty obvious to a lot of people, but you know what? The truth is a lot of people, especially in the Western world, um, they're just very career focused, focused on leaving the home and getting on with their lives as quick as possible and just focusing on, um, you know, even if it's not at a conscious level, but just subconsciously, they might not necessarily always see family as a priority. Do you want to express to, um, to our viewers why, why family is such an important value, va not just value, but also um, just component of, of a healthy life? Yeah. Um, so first I would say, from my point of view, if this is the main part of our conversation, I'm delighted because it, before we can even come on to Judaism specifically, this is so foundational to the ability to live a, a meaningful life. Um, and our tradition, by the way, is such a wonderful resource for this. You're asking about difficult conversations. Um, I mean, our practice, as you well know, is, is every week a different parsha, a different section of the Torah, a different story. And look what these stories are. They're stories of, of marriages, of sibling rivalry, of parent-children relationships. There are stories about societies that go wrong. There are stories about leadership, community, country, and faith. I mean, each week's reading, Torah reading, has, has so many beautiful and, and interesting questions around it. Rabbi Sachs has online uh, um, every week, and, and it's there accessible, different thoughts on the partial topic, Shabbat table conversation starters around, around meaningful thoughts to do with et cetera. There's so much online that's available as trigger conversations. Um, Interestingly, you asked about societal change, and I ducked the question, how do we deal with the big culture and the big society? And, and for me, the answer is because it starts with family. It starts with the, the, the individual and their own family. It's interesting, again, if you look at the Torah as, as a history book, it's fascinating. Because whilst most ancient histories that we read of the world are about kings and emperors and lords and ladies and big battles and military operations and society as a whole, the Torah really moves very swiftly away from society. In fact, it has two societal stories, the story of the flood and the story of dispersion, and both seem to give the message 
that if we start with society, things go wrong. And it immediately shifts to the family. It shifts to individuals, to Avram, Sarah, who, as I said, are dealing with their own personal challenges, their relationships to each other and the relationships to their families. And I think this is really the critical point. It, it is a family is the unit upon which everything else can be built. It's, it's through family that we learn to know ourselves and it's through family that we are capable of modeling the bigger and broader relationships that exist. How can we relate to society made up of thousands, hundreds, thousands, millions of individuals when we don't know how to relate to one individual person? How can we know what love is if we're not capable of loving someone who is special and unique to me? How can I love myself if I haven't learned to experience being loved by another? And if I don't feel the parental love, it's very hard to love myself. But if I don't give back love to my parents, to my family, to my siblings, to my spouse, it's very hard to honestly say that I love humanity as a whole. And this is why Judaism starts off with the particular. It starts off with the family, our people, and from that wants us to radiate outwards to ultimately be a light onto the whole world. But it's very hard to talk about the big picture of the whole world when we haven't had those personal experiences. If we're not able to love those who are near and dear, we need to be skeptical about the claim that I love society as a whole. And it's from modeling and experiencing that sense of closeness of, of you, you know what, the, the, the experience of day-to-day -day of living in a home, having to sometimes put aside one's personal convenience or comfort, put up with the irritating habits, habits that our immediate families have, that allows us to actually think about what are our priorities in life? What really matters to us? Are we able to transcend ourselves by seeing beyond the selfish and the irritating in order to get, achieve that which we really want? And it's very, very difficult to be a healthy, happy, functioning, balanced human being and spiritual being un unless we start from that foundation. If we haven't had those opportunities, and I'm aware that there are maybe students or adults who are listening to me for whatever reason haven't had those opportunities, we can build them later in life. We can learn and we can, we spoke about education before. One can access educational and therapeutic supports to rebuild that, but it's, it's harder. It takes more effort to build that in ad adulthood. If we can grant that to our children, that's really the greatest gift we can give them as a foundation for going through with the rest of their lives. And it's also interesting the way you're talking about, you know, culture at large, and that's not something that can necessarily be changed. But family can very much create its own culture, can't it? In its own home, you're walking into a unique sort of protected culture at that point. Absolutely. And this isn't just about a defensiveness. It's about uh, a springboard for, for, for sense of self, for achievement, for greatness. And, and as you said before, even immunising oneself, because one has a sense of self and self-worth which gives them the moral resources to fall back upon when, when, pressed, when pressed to a corner. So let's speak lastly about um, the Jewish matters. So do you want to talk to us a bit about some of the uh, issues that you see cropping up, uh, certainly around uh, with young people uh, in schooling and in their teen years um, that come to mind? And also um, perhaps if some of them are going on a bit of a religious journey, as I know I certainly did in my uh, late teen years, how best to navigate that in a healthy way, both for oneself and also uh, for their relationships with their family and friends. Okay, thank you. I, I think, Ollie, you've smuggled two separate questions into that. Um, so, so if I've understood you correctly, let me just uh, unpick them one by one. Um, I think your first question is, is if, if we're talking about conversations we're not having, that the things that are on our teens' minds that we're not addressing, we've spoken yeah. about that in terms of well-being, we've spoken about that extensively just now in terms of our sense of self, and what it is to be a human and, and the existential questions of life. What, what are the Jewish questions that we need to talk more about? And then the second question I think you're asking is um, the, the teen journey, the young person student journey, and how a journey of religious discovery can impact on, on family and, and communal uh, dynamics and, and relationships. So, so taking them one by one, um, I, think the, I think much of what we've spoken about till now are also Jewish questions. And I think our, our tradition, our Torah, our, our, the wisdom of our sages offers incredible resources. And, and occasionally here and there I peppered some quotes when we spoke about the earlier topics. And I think we do need to more confidently explore with our, with our teams, with our students, the Jewish insights and wisdom that's out there that helps us become balanced, healthy humans with good mental health and well-being, and with a profound sense of self. But more specifically, if we move away from that, 
Um, I think the big elephant in the room is, is that of equality. And I think that the single biggest issue on, on many of our team's minds is a sense that somehow we're not in line with the egalitarian nature of our society. Um, we're not giving autonomy and self-expression enough of a hearing. And I think that they are bothered by this, um, whether this is how am I Jewish and proud of my Jewishness in a, in a world in which most of our brothers and sisters, fellow human beings are not Jewish, or we, how are we um, meaningfully engaging in pride and respect for our Judaism and our beliefs without somehow slipping into less respect for others. I think they're worried about gender and roles of gender in Judaism, both in terms of the differences between men and women in, in communal practice and synagogal practice, and indeed in the very idea of gender being a, a defining feature of one, one's self-expression as, as a human being. I think they're worried about the model of family life that we are putting forward, and we've spoken a lot about family, but how does that fit into alternative shaped families and individuals who, who, who experience their sense of health, a sense of self um, in, in ways that don't fit the classic uh, traditional Jewish model. And I'm not here commenting on the rights and wrongs of any of these questions or even suggesting answers, but I don't think we do ourselves favors if we don't acknowledge that this is on the minds of our teens and don't start confidently, empathetically, and wisely trying to address this. And if we're not having conversations about these because we're ducking the problem, then we're not, we're not speaking to our kids and what's on their minds. I think we need to recognize that autonomy, self-expression, the ability to define myself and what I am and my place in the world is really at the peak of the pyramid of values that exist currently in the West. I think equality is very high up there in the pyramid of values that exist in the West. And the good news is that these are values that we also believe in as Jews. This is wonderful. Our teens are idealistic. They care about these things. What else would you want but that they're worrying about discrimination and equality and self-expression and autonomy? Chirus, the very first national Jewish experience is about freedom and slavery. How can we build a Judaism unless we're talking about autonomy and freedom and self-expression? How can we build a Judaism unless we're talking about e equality and fairness and, and justice? The very first message given to human beings is that every human being is created with Sanam and Akim in the image of God. And the first message that the sages teach us about this is why will humanity created single out of one individual to teach us that no one person can turn to someone else and say, my ancestors were greater than yours. The message of Egypt and, and Exodus is love the stranger, look after the stranger, look after the needy and vulnerable because you were once needy and vulnerable. So these aren't ideas that are foreign to Judaism. And how painful it is when our teens and our youth turn to us and say, you Jews, you Jews, you teachers of Torah are the ones that don't get these values. When, when we, surely we, 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 if we are to communicate our message correctly, we should be the ones broadcasting these values. So, so what's going wrong? We're not managing to share them because we actually have a nuanced expression, because we're struggling within Judaism to balance many values together, because we need to move the conversation into a more sophisticated dimension, to talk about what is the balance between independence and responsibility, between equality and recognition of difference, between meaning and purpose of an individual and that of being part of a society and a nation and a people and a religion and ethnicity. How do we engage in that conversation that we Jews of all people have had across generations? How do we speak to the greats of the past to ensure that we can communicate to the greats that we hope to groom for the future. So we need to re-emerge with a self-confident conversation, with the realization that actually our tradition, our faith, our Torah has meaningful things to say in that, in that area. Not necessarily 100% in accord with where the West is currently finding its balance, but we can be conversational partners in that debate. That we have something to say that actually will enrich our team's understanding of what how one balances many values in a complex world. And I'll tell you something, if we can do that, whether our teens emerge from this agreeing with our stance or disagreeing with our stance, whether they emerge meaningfully engaged religiously or not, at least there's been a conversation, hopefully a genuine sense of mutual respect, a genuine sense of listening to each other, and hopefully something that has enriched both sides understanding and insight as to what these values really mean. And I, I firmly believe that we have nothing to be ashamed of in halacha. I firmly believe that Jewish law and Jewish tradition and Jewish ethics has really good things to say about these questions.
but I think we need to start talking more about it. We need to accept that these are the questions our students are asking. And if we're not acknowledging that and we're not engaging in those conversations, then, then, we, then we're lost. Fully, fully agree. And uh, we're, we're slightly short on time, but we could go on for days on these topics and I'm sure we'll come back to this. But just lastly, any, any, any uh, thoughts on the second question I asked, which was about someone exploring their Jewish religious growth? And they are actually genuinely keen um, uh, to explore their Judaism and ob observe more, learn more, perhaps even make quite significant changes in their lifestyle. What's been, you know, you've counseled people going on these journeys from all different backgrounds, all different ages. What are some of the big, just in a couple of uh, minutes for the last few minutes of this, of this um, discussion, what are some of the big things that you think are really critical to make sure people do that in a healthy way, both for themselves and for the people around them that perhaps might be affected? Okay, sorry, uh, you're, you're right, and I need to get back to this question also. Um, before I go there, though, I, I, I want to just talk about the previous values I spoke about on a practical level, and, and it will go some way to answering your question also, and then I'll, I'll more specifically respond to your question. Um, we spoke about what can I do as a parent, what can I do as an individual to help these conversations take place. Um, I think the, the meaningful Jewish conversations I spoke about also need to occur. And I would say to every parent out there, no matter how learned or, or unlearned you feel, no matter how confident or underconfident you feel in our faith, no matter how religious or irreligious you see yourself, if your Judaism is meaningful for you, and if you want your children to carry some of it forward, start those conversations with those kids. Take a Torah story, debate it, discuss it. It doesn't matter whether you come out with answers or no answers. It doesn't matter whether you know how to resolve it or don't know how to resolve it. It doesn't matter whether you feel equipped with a wealth of Jewish knowledge or ill-equipped. We need to have those conversations around our tables. Like I spoke about conversations about well-being and mental health and analysis of politics and things that are going on and moral dilemmas, Jewish dilemmas around these things. Google a piece of Jewish law, Jewish Google an area of Jewish ethics. Watch a, a YouTube clip, a JTV interview, and then debate it. And it doesn't matter if, if if teens are, are telling us that they don't like what they've seen, at least they're engaging with it and they're thinking about it and they're questioning and they're challenging and they become part of that wonderful Jewish conversation. So I want to translate into, into action the ideas that we just spoke about previously. And I think this leads into your question about how do teens and students navigate if they are making changes in their lives in, in whichever direction and whichever way. And I think there's two parts to this. I think as parents, we need to ensure we have a home which is open, a home where teens can, can question, can ask, can speak, can challenge. We don't always have to agree, but at least we have those conversations happening. And as te the young people making their changes equally need to keep those conversations open. They need to converse with their parents, talk about the changes they're undergoing and, and discuss and, and speak about them. I think that um, parents who are excluded from what their children are thinking about struggle. I think if, if children are upfront and open with the parents about the ideas they're thinking about and the questions they're asking, it, it allows them to be part of it. I think certainly rabbinically, if I'm advising teams who are making uh, changes, who are becoming more religious, um, understanding that respect for parents, for elders, realizing that what equipped these young men and ladies to make the changes in their lives are very often the values they, they receive from their parents, which yes, they're choosing currently to express slightly differently, to channel in different ways, but these are genuine reflections of their past and, and their families. I think understanding that is important. I think a, a sense of moderation and change, of speed of journey and getting that right, of appreciating that Torah is about the shul and the yeshiva and the Torah and the learning, but it's equally about love and respect for family and closeness and both halves are, are what's important. These are ways of easing the journey. I think ensuring that one's growth is balanced. You know, if, if someone decides to become fit and goes to the gym and all they engage in is, is, you know, lifting up weights with their right arm and they have a very healthy muscular right arm and the rest of them hasn't um, become more healthy at all. It's not a balanced way to grow. Ensuring that one's growth is, is balanced also um, eases this journey. The, the, it's complicated. And again, it deserves really a, a discussion in its own right. But I would definitely encourage um, if someone is making changes in their, in their life, Jewishly, get a really good rabbinic mentor, get someone who understands uh, in depth the range of Jewish law and perspectives who, who can help one navigate uh, what's really unique about each individual, which is their unique family circumstances, 
And, and if done well, there's no reason that there shouldn't be a, not just not a negative, not just not a challenge to family relationships, but actually can be a source of great strength and, and, a, and a closer relationship than one that could have existed otherwise. Yeah. Rabbi Zemin, thank you so much for this um, whirlwind discussion. It was a wisdom overdose, um, but uh, you can never get too much of that. Um, really, really appreciate your time. I know that our viewers I've got feedback in the past, I've really, really appreciated your content. By the way, not just here in the UK, but around the world. Um, and so we look forward to uh, sharing this and um, a lot, as I say, a lot was covered and I, I know and uh, hope that we can have uh, many more discussions where we can delve into these issues in more details. And we encourage you, the viewers, to please comment on this video, give us your thoughts, your feedback, and we'll have a think about how we can uh, uh, bring that into future discussions. So, and again, Rabbi Zobin, just thank you so much again for giving your time to the channel. Oli, tr truly my, my pleasure, my privilege. Um, I always love speaking to you and uh, thank you for giving me a, an opportunity to share some of the, uh, the thoughts and, and wisdom that I was lucky enough to receive and uh, in turn pass that on. But, but thank you so much and uh, truly uh, a treat to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you.